0: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Yep. And this is kind of our gap week. This is our bridge week between Black History Month and Women's History Month. Yep. And so to kind of bridge that gap, we wanted to talk about black feminist favorites. Yeah. This week. Yeah. And I think I go first this week. Yes, you do. And I chose this person. I didn't decide who I was going to do until yesterday. Risky. Yes, truly.
1: You are a risk taker. Uh, Yes,
0: truly, truly. But it's because this person passed away... Only a couple of days ago.
1: Now I know what you're doing. Yes. Okay. So,
0: I am going to be talking today about Katherine Johnson. Yay! Yeah. So, Katherine Johnson, if you guys don't know, there was a movie that came out in 2016 called Hidden Figures, Mm -hmm. which you've probably heard about in which Taraji P. Henson plays Katherine Johnson uh, on screen. And it is really good. Full disclaimer. I watched half of the movie, and then shit started happening around me. I did finish the movie, but it was only half engaged. So I can
1: only really speak to the greatness of the first half of the movie. I mean, it's greatness throughout. Which was great. It's fantastic. I mean, and we were just discussing the difference between, you know, when we do more of a forgotten feminist favorite and a regular feminist favorite. And I would have to say, up until 2016, I would say that she was a forgotten feminist I, I think that it wasn't agree. until hidden figures came out that anybody really knew who she was and i don't think that many people even know her by name i think if you were just right. to say that that like for me katherine johnson doesn't click with hidden figures to yeah me, and, you know and honestly even if you saw her picture because she's she, so
0: cute she is cute but she doesn't was. really look like oh uh, but she doesn't really look anything like Taraji P. Hanson. Like, they don't really look alike. So I think even if you saw a picture of her without the context of who she was, yeah. you probably wouldn't know who she was. Right. Uh, so while she is known now, and of course her death, which we're recording on the 26th of February, and she passed away on the 24th, so it's only been two days. Mm-hmm. Uh, while that did make news kind of everywhere and was all over social media, I think without the movie
1: Hidden Figures, it would not have. So... Yeah. In that way. I, I mean, even T today, when we got in the car, he was like, oh, this lady died who helped the guy get into space, or on the moon for the first time. I'm so glad that she got that kind of recognition, yeah. because it's pretty amazing, Well, actually. and I think his school's really good about Black History Month. I yeah. sent you the door, yeah. so cool, with all these pictures of different black heroes. I think, I think schools
0: have gotten better about that since yeah. we were kids. I think yeah. they really have. Okay, so let's get into it. Katherine Johnson was born Katherine Coleman in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, on August 26, 1918, which I think is so crazy. Like she born was born in, in 1918. 1918. Yeah, and actually, my grandma just texted me um, because my her father, my great-grandfather, he passed away a couple of years ago, but she texted me and was like, this would have been uh, granddaddy's 100th and first birthday today. Oh had he still
1: been alive. So uh, Yeah, had my grandma still would she if she was still alive, she would be like hundred and seven yeah, this year. Yeah, your grandmother is even older. Nineteen twelve, I think. No, so it'd be hundred and five. Your grandma? My grandma would was born in nineteen No, nineteen twenty two. 1922, sorry, nineteen twenty two. Jeez. she was ninety-one when I passed when I was twelve. My great now. grandpa was born nineteen nineteen. So he was Crazy. born the year
0: after Katherine Johnson. Oh, my God. Were they best friends? Besties.
1: No, they <laughs>
0: opposite ends of the country. Yep. Uh, but she was basically a child genius math prodigy. She started attending... I'm so jealous of that. I, I... That was the opposite of me growing up. Literally. Like, I went to a math and science magnet school in elementary school, but it's only because my brother was really good at math oh. and science. And they had a thing where if your sibling went, yeah. you could go too. Yeah. But my brain for math... Is mush like Anthony and I play rummy almost every night, and I usually do the scorecards. And the number of times I have to count on my fingers, yeah. to, is insane.
1: I'm relearning math right now through the child that I take care of, which I'm really appreciative of because I feel like I'm understanding it better as mm-hmm. an adult than I did when I was a kid. Totally. So I'm just I'm in second grade again right now. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so she started attending high school at the age of ten. What? In Institute and that would have been in what 1928. Yeah, so in in, in 1928, she started attending high school in Institute, West Virginia, because her local school there in White Sulphur Springs did not allow African-American students to attend past eighth grade. So education was clearly a very important thing for her family. Right, And so for her and her siblings, the family would split the time between Institute. They would stay in Institute, West Virginia during the school year Mm -hmm. and then travel back to White Sulphur Springs. ...during the summer, so that the kids could get an education. What
1: great parents! Yeah. That's yeah, it was really great parents. They
0: prioritized yeah. this thing. They knew that their kids needed to have an education in order to, like...
1: Well, and that your kid was a prodigy, and that you yeah. have to, like...
0: Nurture that. Nurture that mm-hmm.
1: gift that she has. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, Catherine finished high school at the age of 14, and she went on to attend West Virginia State, which is a historically black college, which is now known as West Virginia State University. Was she 14 when she went to college? Yes. Wow. So, she was 14 that when she started college. That would be hard college. to go to
1: college with adults It when would you're be 14. difficult. I
0: don't know if anything was different back then, but I don't think so, because we talked about Polly Murray in yeah. the beginning uh, of this year, and she attended college mm-hmm. kind of early too, but not Not at 14. She was, like, at 17.
1: But especially to be a black woman, going to college early and going to high school early, I feel like in that time, that wouldn't be something that would fly very well. It it was definitely unusual. And she did attend a historically black college, so she was with other black people. That's true.
0: But still, she's a 14-year-old girl math prodigy. (laughs) Which, even today, I still think that there is this weird kind of bias about, you know, STEM fields or mathematics being kind of like a male-centered, male-dominated thing. Like, it's not considered very feminine to be good at those things. Yeah. So, I do imagine that it was probably strange. Um... She took every math course the college offered and was so skilled at the subject that one of her professors, W. W. Shifflin Claytor, he was the third African American to receive a Ph.D. in mathematics, actually, and then he went on to teach at West Virginia um, State. He actually added additional courses in mathematics sp- specifically for her. Wow. Yeah. So wow. So she was just that skilled. They were like, we can't keep up with yeah. your education. So she graduated summa cum laude in 1937 with degrees in mathematics and French at the age of 18. Girl! She graduated college. Girl! At 18, yeah. Wow. So then she moved to Marion, Virginia, where she became a teacher at an all-black public school. Aww. And in 1938, the United States Supreme Court ruling Missouri ex Rail Gaines v. Canada ruled that states that provided public higher education to white students also had to provide it to black students to be satisfied either by establishing black colleges and universities or by admitting black students to previously white-only universities. Oh. So in 1939, West Virginia University was forced to integrate its graduate program. So uh, previous to this, also just to clarify, because I was confused when I was writing my notes, it gets kind of confusing. So she went to West Virginia State, which is now known as West Virginia State University. Uh-huh. This is just West Virginia University and they are Got separate it. colleges. Yeah. So it's graduate program so the advancement after you finish yes. with your with your bachelor's it was white only. Nobody who was black could advance in their school. And then in 1939, they had to change that to allow other people in. So Catherine was chosen along with two other African-American students, and she was the only woman chosen to attend the program. Uh, And she did attend the program for one year, and then she chose to leave the program when she got married and was pregnant with her first child. So... I think that that's a really good example of, this was clearly her choice, and everything I read said that, like, she really wanted to focus on raising her family and all of that stuff, but I think it's important to point out that this is not a decision that men have to make. Yeah, They don't have to decide between their personal lives their personal lives and, yeah. and having a family and this yeah. was a decision that she clearly felt like she had to make and so even though she was given this tremendous opportunity yeah. to be the first black woman to graduate from this graduate program uh-huh. uh she made the decision to back out of yeah. that because and we she was pregnant
1: yeah and we can't really speculate on what her thinking was but definitely at the time i don't think it was even really that much of an option i feel like She would have had to drop out. Yeah.
0: I mean, she could have done it, but I think it would have been much more difficult than it is nowadays. Yeah. Uh, And definitely the social consequences of that would be very difficult.
1: That's kind of the biggest thing that I was thinking of were more of, like, the social consequences of her being a mother and going to school, especially, what was this, 1939, you said, that she started it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I feel like that... That flies weirdly today, even I feel like people get really judgmental that you would yeah. school is like, oh, you're choosing to go back. It's not like work where you're making money. It's like you're choosing to spend more time away from your kids. Right,
0: but yeah, it's not something that we would ever question a man doing, especially. No, never. We would never tell a man who was given this kind of Gift. tremendous opportunity that like they should let it go. And again, this is Oh, was you're her... gonna
1: you're gonna have a baby, so you should stay home.
0: Right. This Can we... you imagine saying that to a dude? No, you never would. You know, and of course, again, this was her choice. Mm-hmm. So she had the right to make that decision. Yep,
1: and we can't speculate entirely. Totally.
0: So she then decided to go into the workforce uh, after raising her kids. So in the early 1950s, Uh, She wanted to become a research mathematician. She's like, I'm going to return to the thing that I love. Mm -hmm. But it was a difficult field for African Americans to enter just in general. And it was an even more difficult field for women to enter. So it's difficult for women. It's difficult for African Americans. The idea of an African American woman entering into the research mathematician field was extremely rare yeah, uh, and something that was very, very hard. So she had difficulty finding work in her desired field, and so she took a job working as a teacher until 1952 when she heard that the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, NACA, was hiring mathematicians and that they were not opposed to hiring black people as well as white people for their guidance and navigation department. So she applied for the job and then accepted a job offer from the agency in 1953. So she began working with a group of African-American women who were known as the West Computers. So they were (laughs) women. But because they did all of the calculations mentally, essentially, Uh uh, they were computers. And she actually called them later on, she said that we were virtual computers who wore skirts. Yeah, Like, that's what she said. I love it. I wish I
1: had that ability.
0: Me too. Oh, my God. (laughs) They would manually perform complex mathematical calculations for the program's engineers. Wow. So I also read something, and this was very interesting to me, because like we just said, it's kind of like the science, the math and science fields are very male-dominated even today. Mm -hmm. But I had read something that said that... A lot of people considered the kind of grunt work, calculations work, to be women's work, and it's
1: kind of secretary-like, right? Right. right. Like, yeah. yeah, you
0: move the numbers around, and then you give it to the engineers, and the engineers are all men, and yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll build the stuff. They'll it's do all good. the thing, yeah, right. But the, I mean, this is. Incredibly precise, difficult work that no way in a million trillion thousand years would I be able to do this, especially without the help of like a million trillion thousand, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, precisely, (laughs) precisely, (laughs) exactly, mad again, exactly why I shouldn't be doing this work, okay. Oh, so, uh, one day, Catherine was temporarily assigned to help the all-male flight research team, and Catherine's knowledge of analytic geometry was so impressive that she never returned to the West Computers team. Yeah, like she basically said, they were so impressed with me that they forgot to throw me back in the
1: pool. Yeah, if I—that's I, in the movie, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm so bad with my memory when it comes to that stuff, but I feel like I remember them pulling her out of her station for help with something, right? And it was supposed to be
0: temporary, yeah. But then she was so good at it that they were like, "Actually, yeah, we'll just keep you here." Uh, she was officially reassigned to the guidance and control division of Langley's flight research division, which was staffed by all white male engineers. Mm-hmm. So, among this sea of like white dudes, there is this one
1: black woman. Black woman.
0: Wow, <laughs> doing work. How
1: intimidating mm-hmm. going to work every day. But it was
0: interesting to read her comments about it because. She doesn't seem intimidated, and other I don't think she's a woman that would feel intimidated because she knows she, she knows that she knows it, and yeah. she knows she belongs there because she knows she has the knowledge. Yeah, for it. she's
1: got confidence, and she's so smart that I feel like she's like, well, why wouldn't I be able to do this?
0: You know, right? Exactly, and it, you definitely get that sense when you're reading things about her. It's just kind of like she was like, I, I deserve to be here because I, I know what I'm talking about. And so there was no reason for her to feel like she she's on the outside. She wasn't yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. But with all that being said, there were strict segregation laws at the time that the women of the West Computers, as well as black men who were working at NACA... Mm-hmm were forced to kind of like
1: endure. Are you about to mention the bathrooms? Yes. Do you remember that scene from the I movie? Do, where I do. Remember she's that having scene to, brilliantly. She I runs. remember that scene the most. Cuz you just hear the clicking of heels. She's just running to the bathroom and she's like, "I don't have time." Like every time I have to pee, I, I think about
0: that where I'm just like, "Imagine having to run like 3 buildings away to yeah. pee and like come back." Nope. Especially if you were like in the middle of a mathematical equation, and you're like, sorry, I've got to go to the bathroom. Uh, I'll be a half an hour. But yeah, so they were forced, the, the black men who worked there, as well as the West computers, they were forced to use separate bathroom facilities as well as separate dining facilities from that of their white colleagues. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was this division there, whether or not she felt it while she was working, there was still this kind of yeah clear hierarchy that was happening there. In 1958, NACA disbanded and was incorporated into the newly formed National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, uh, which banned segregation. So awesome. right from the beginning, NASA was like, nah.
1: But So NASA.
0: Yes, but even though segregation was not permitted at NASA, it didn't mean that things were, were easy for Catherine necessarily. So Just
1: because a laws change doesn't change people's minds.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So She became part of the space task group and she recalled later on quote we needed to be assertive as women in those days assertive and aggressive and the degree to which we had to be that way depended on where you were i i had to be in the early days of nasa women were not allowed to put their names on reports no woman in my division had had her name on a report i was working with ted skopinski and he wanted to leave and go to houston but henry pearson our supervisor he was not a fan of women kept pushing to finish the report we were working on Finally, Ted told him, Catherine should finish the report. She's done most of the work anyway. So Ted left Pearson with no choice. I finished the report, and my name went on it, and that was the first time a woman in our division had had her name on something. I
1: remember that scene from the movie now, too. It's all coming back to me. Yeah. Such a cool moment. It's a cool she moment. She has to sign, like, sign her name on something. A- she done. Absolutely, and it's a cool...
0: Moment of male allyship as well. Definitely. Because he definitely could have taken advantage of his status as yeah. a white male man and just been like, I know that he wanted to leave and there was all of that as well, but also he's just like, I don't care about the credit. Yeah. Give her the credit. She's done the work. Yeah. Let me go to Houston and do my job. Right. You know what I mean? So this, that paper was about calculations for placing a spacecraft into orbit. Catherine went on to author or co-author 26 research reports during her career. She soon became part of the Spacecraft Controls Branch, and in 1961, it became part of Project Mercury, which was the first human spaceflight program in the United States. She calculated the path for Freedom 7, which was the spacecraft that put the first U.S. astronaut into space. Uh, Alan B. Shepard Jr., and she plotted backup navigation charts for astronauts in case of electronic failures. So I just want to point out, again, this Mm -hmm. is a time I don't think we can truly fathom... We use computers for everything. Yeah. Okay. Like fucking. Everything. It's in your pocket.
1: Like yeah. yeah.
0: There is no way to really comprehend how difficult this would be. Yeah. Especially people's lives are
1: literally on the line. Yeah. Like, and you're, and space has not been very has not been traveled by humans like very much yeah, at all. Yeah. So, at all. At all. So you don't in the US, have United States. True. So, there isn't a lot of information of, like, how to do it. You, you're you creating it. You're creating how to mm-hmm. do it. Right. And You're taking into account what you know. And it's fucking space. Mm-hmm. You can't look at it in your hands or on a table and be able to, like, make right. a hypothesis and test. I mean, it's like the test would be incredibly difficult to do. Absolutely. You have to take into account what you know about space, which at the time was not a ton. Yeah, but even even so like we think we know so much about space and it's like every year there's something coming up that's mm-hmm. like never mind like Pluto isn't a planet, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> bitter about it. It's the same.
0: Uh, by 1962, NASA was using electronic computers. When it came time to calculate John Glenn's orbit around the Earth in the Friendship 7, Glenn specifically asked Catherine to verify the calculations and refused to fly until she had done so. Oh, so yeah. So John Glenn... He knows what's up. Yeah, he went on to make history becoming the first U.S. astronaut to orbit the Earth. And he was like, I know you have electronic computers, but I don't trust them bitches. We need to call Catherine in here yeah. and have her double check. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And there's this great quote from author Margot Lee uh, Shetterly, and she said, So, the astronaut who became a hero looked to this black woman in the still segregated South at the time as one of the key parts of making sure his mission would be a success. Yep. So, he was like... He was like, I'm not above this. This is my
1: life. I want the...
0: Totally. He's like, I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're a woman. You're black. Who gives a fuck? I don't want to die. Can you make sure I'm safe? Yeah. Yeah, that's all that fucking matters. In 1969, she went on to help calculate the trajectory of the Apollo 11 flight to the moon. And that was kind of interesting to read about because she had done all this work that basically helped get this... (laughs) helped get the Apollo 7 to the moon safely. Yeah. And then she, like, went with all of her friends and family and talked about how they sat around this tiny little TV and watched the moon landing. And, like, that's something that, like, you helped to happen. Like it would not have happened without you. How surreal to
1: be watching that on TV with your family and being like, I did that. Yeah,
0: I I fucking did that. Without me it would have been a lot harder to do that.
1: Yeah.
0: In nineteen seventy, so the next year, the Apollo thirteen Oh, Does everybody God. remember that movie with Tom Hanks? I loved that movie. I fucking up. loved that movie. A part of that movie I always remember is that the, the daughter Pope leaving. Oh, oh no. that's what I
1: remember. <laughs> I don't
0: remember that, but I always remember the daughter before Tom Hanks leaves because it's in 1970 and the uh-huh. Beatles had just broken up. Yep. And yes. Then, like her dad is leaving to go into space and she's
1: crying because the Beatles have yep. just broken up. Um, this is kind of a sidebar, but ha- have you heard of the show Avenue Five on HBO? Yeah watch it. Everybody that watch looks so it. It's so funny. It's got Hugh Laurie in it, right? It's Hugh Laurie. It's Josh Gad. It's the I can never remember his name. Zach Wood. Zach Wood. From um he was in the office. He was in Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, yeah. I love He's him. He's hilarious. I love him. The show is so good. We're talking about space and I watched it the other night. So it's like I really want to head. watch that for Everybody sure. Everybody watch it because it needs to be on for many more seasons. I love it so much. <laughs> well
0: for those of you who don't know who didn't watch the Tom Hanks movie, <laughs> maybe you're younger than us so you're unfamiliar. Uh, Everybody recognizes Houston we have a we problem. have a problem, which is from the Apollo 13. that's what yeah. he said uh, when he realized that things were going wrong with that craft So the Apollo 13 was meant to land on the moon when two days into the mission an oxygen tank in the service module failed and the mission was aborted. So Catherine was called upon, and her work on backup procedures and charts helped set a safe path for the crew's return to Earth, creating a one-star observation system that would allow astronauts to determine their location with accuracy.
1: I had no idea she was a part of Apollo 13. That's really cool.
0: Yes, and she said in a 2010 interview, everybody was concerned about them getting there. We were concerned about them getting back. So before they had even left, she was like okay, I know that this is a big deal
1: for you guys, but... How do we get them back home? Yeah,
0: we should calculate a way to be able to pinpoint their location so that we can get them home if anything goes wrong. And thank God she did that. Thank God. Yeah. Because the crew of the Apollo 13 looped around the moon and returned safely to Earth six days after takeoff. Wow. So they were basically, like, kind of floating there for, like, four days or so. Yep. Um, But Makes for a great movie. It it does. And thanks to Catherine's calculations, they made it back safely.
1: It was a successful disaster. Exactly. No one
0: died. Yeah. Which is like,
1: whew. Yeah, exactly.
0: Later in her career... She worked on the Space Shuttle Program, the Earth Resources Satellite, and on plans for a mission to Mars before retiring from NASA in 1986. Wow. In 2015, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and in 2016, NASA named a building, the Katherine G. Johnson Computational Research Facility.
1: Wow, girl. After
0: her. Yeah. So she did pass away at the age of one hundred and one on February twenty fourth, two thousand twenty, just a couple of days ago. And following her death, Jim Bridenstine, NASA's administrator, described her as "quote an American hero" and stated that her pioneering legacy will never be forgotten.
1: Oh, yay! What a great Catherine. choice, Catherine. Such a cute <laughs> lady. She's so cute. <laughs> what? What a brain! What? A brain... Like, my brain... Look at the brain on Catherine. Can't
0: even calculate. Like, I I can't compute how amazing her brain is. Like, nope. literally when I'm sitting at work, because I have a lot of tasks going on at once, yeah. I have to write everything I'm doing on sticky notes yeah. to remember what all I need to do. There oh, is-
1: I am a note-taker to the nth degree. Yeah. Like, I have to write everything that I'm doing or else I will forget it and lose my place. My brain
0: doesn't work that way where I can just, like, do equations in my head. No. Like, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Huh well, that was a perfect... Thank you so much. Perfect choice, Thank again. you. All right, it's my turn, and I am going to talk about somebody that I can't believe I didn't know about, and when I saw photos of her in video, I was like, okay, maybe I've seen her somewhere... But this is a woman who I feel has been a very forgotten civil rights activist. Mm-hmm. Her name is Fanny Lou Hamer. Fanny Lou Hamer. Okay. Do you know about Fannie yes. Lou Hamer? Okay, awesome. So maybe it was just me, but I not don't, a ton though. So I didn't know anything about her. And when I found this story, I I've read it so many times. I hope I give it justice. She's amazing. So Fannie Lou Townsend. Was born on October 6th, 1917 in, uh, in Montgomery County, Mississippi. 1917? 1917, yes. Wow. Okay, so, so she's
0: two years older
1: than Catherine, Yes, for she did not live as long, unfortunately. Uh, she was the youngest of 20 children. Whoa. 20. Y'all. Children. Nah. She's the youngest? The youngest of Fuck. 20.
0: Her mom was probably like, Jesus. That's
1: like... I would assume probably 23 years of childbearing. Oh. Can you imagine? No. Oh, my God. I mean, there had to have been some multiples in there, right? Like some twins, some triplets. I hope so. Yeah, that's a lot. Oh my god, that poor woman's body needed a break. Well, that's Ella. That's Ella Townsend. Honey. And her dad was James. So, and their family were farmers. That was their, oh, so they needed, that was their livelihood. They needed that many kids. They, so, like, they needed you guys yeah. to work them fields. Yeah, so as a child, her family's animal stock was poisoned and Hamer suspected that it was a local white supremacist. And she said, our stock got poisoned. We knowed this white man had done it. That white man did it just because we were getting somewhere. White people never like to see Negroes get a little success. All of this stuff is no, se- is no secret in the state of Mississippi. Oh, this girl tells it how it is. <laughs> I have <laughs> a lot of quotes of hers in here, and she does not hold back. All right. So in 1919, the family moved to Sunflower County, Mississippi to work as sharecroppers at, for W.D. Marlowe's plantation, and Fanny began picking cotton at the age of six. From the age of 7 to 12, she attended a one-room school provided by the children of sharecroppers, but schooling was only available during pick, uh, between picking seasons. And obviously, she had to stop schooling at age of 12 because of what you were saying for Catherine as well. There wasn't schooling beyond that, mm-hmm. and she was living on a plantation, so
0: yeah her education was not the best
1: too. like yeah mississippi in the early 20th century like yikes yeah it's it's a lot of that so she loved to read though and she was really good at spelling bees and she really loved poetry at the age of 12, she had to leave school to support her aging parents, and by the time she was 13, they sh- they say she could pick 200 to 300 pounds of cotton a day. Ah, uh, her poor fingers. Yeah, but she was born with polio, so she had, like, a limp and stuff. Her poor body. Yeah, so she had, her leg was disfigured, yet she could carry 200 to 300, I mean, not at a time, but, like, throughout a day, it'd be 200 to 300 pounds of Do cotton. Do you ever
0: think about how weak we are? Like, so weak. Like, nowadays, like, you always hear stories about people back in, like, the early 20th century who would be like, yeah, I walked
1: from Mississippi to Missouri, and yep. they're just like, Jesus Christ, like, I'm so weak. I'm gonna say that the next time that T gets, like, a paper cut, or, like, if he gets, like, a scratch, he wants a Band-Aid, I'm gonna be like, at least you're not picking cotton and having bloody hands. Yeah. did and, you know and, like, that uh, Fanny had polio? Fanny had polio, and she picked 200 to 300 pounds of cotton a day. That's gonna teach him. That's that works with kids, right? I I hope so. Right? Okay. Let we'll me try. know how it goes. I'll let you know. So though she was no longer attending school, she developed more reading and comprehension skills in a Bible study at her church. And she was really good about connecting the teachings of the Bible to the civil rights movement. She saw a lot of like um mm-hmm. intersection there. As well you should. Anybody As well you should. who looks closely that, that's the
0: thing, when I think about people back then, you know, like, white people back then who advocated for slavery, I'm just like, look at the Bible for five seconds, look at our Founding Fathers documents, yes, they were all slaveholders, but, like, yeah. actually analyze their words for, like, five seconds, yeah, and you'll
1: see that it's super hypocritical to yeah. own slaves. So, in 1944, the plantation owner discovered that she was literate and selected her to become a time and record keeper. The following year, she married Perry, or Pap Hamer, who was a tractor driver who worked on the plantation. But, unfortunately, like, they really wanted to start a family right away. But, unfortunately, Fanny was unable to have a child naturally because of forced sterilization. Oh, my God. Yes. So, forced sterilization was really common in Mississippi for population control targeted at poor black women. And um, Mississippi was the 16th state to pass the sterilization law. And they did their first sterilization on an inmate to see how it worked. So I'm so disgusted. Yeah.
0: Disgusted
1: yeah. by that. She said in North Sunflower County Hospital, I would say about six out of ten Negro women that go to the hospital are sterilized with their tubes tied. She went in for something like an appendectomy or something. Or, while they
0: were in there, they're and like while
1: they were in there they they t- they tied her tubes. Um, Mississippi is also rated number 18 for the most amount of sterilizations in the United States, and members of the black community in Mississippi called it the Mississippi appendectomy. It was, like, a joke. It's like, oh, she's going to the hospital, she better not get a Mississippi appendectomy. Like, that is so fucking infuriating. Uh, they did, however, go on to adopt two girls, but one of them died of internal hemorrhaging when she, (laughs) because she was denied treatment because of her mom's activism. I'm going to throw something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is so upsetting.
1: I know. It's it's just like one, one thing after the other. She's like, I can't have kids. I adopt kids. One of them dies because of doctors not wanting to care for my child because of the work that I Which, do. Which, by the way,
0: first, do no harm. Like, yeah. you shouldn't be a doctor. There was a thing that I think we're going to post on our Instagram at some point, but it was like... A person had tweeted about someone in their class at med school who was like, what if I don't want to treat a gay couple or a transgender person because it's against my values? Oh, and, the, and the professor was like, then get a different career because you don't
1: get to make those calls. They do that in Grey's Anatomy when there's the guy that has a swastika tattoo on his stomach. Yeah, and there's pictures of that, too. like, you have to do it. There's pictures of black
0: doctors who are taking care of KKK members, and look, it fucking... I'm sure it feels conflicting, but, like, your job is to keep people healthy, and to save people's lives, and to keep them safe, and to let someone die
1: because you don't like their mommy's politics? Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Exactly. So... In the '50s, she started getting more involved with the civil rights movement after she went to the annual Regional Council of Negro Leadership conference and heard the speakers. They discussed black voting rights and other civil rights issues black communities in the area faced. Now, I wrote the '50s, yeah, but I think it was the '60s because oh, okay. in other in other uh, articles that I read they talk about 1962 as being a really big year for her because she says that was the year that she learned about the constitutional right to vote. A quote of her saying, they talked about how it was our right that we could register to vote. I had never heard until 1962 that black people could register to vote. Okay. So she has this idea in her head. We can vote. We actually have a constitutional right to be full citizens of this country, and practice our right to vote. So, she traveled with other activists to Indianola, Mississippi, hoping to register to vote and become what she says a first-class citizen. Mm -hmm. When asked about de facto laws in the registration test, she couldn't answer the question and failed. She said, I know as much about a facto law as a horse knows about Christmas Day. Well... Okay, explain to me what that it is. Was a, it fun. was a literacy test. So Okay. They, but she wasn't aware that there would be a literacy test, so they were asking her about de facto laws, which I don't know what the fuck that is. Well, and they did a lot of really shady things. Like,
0: if you... Well,
1: and she hits all those roadblocks. Right.
0: And if you watch, like, um, Selma Lord Selma or yeah. any of those where they kind of, like, talk about voting in the South at that time, uh, they would do absolutely ludicrous things. Yeah. Like put a jar of jelly beans on the table and be like, how many jelly beans is yeah. in this jar? Yeah, oh,
1: they would. And there was nothing that they could really do about that. So she, you know, she took her losses. She's like, I didn't get it. So when she returned to the plantation, she was told to withdraw her registration or she would be fired. She refused to do so and was fired and kicked off the land immediately, leaving her husband since he still had to do work on the land until the end of harvest. So Again, she- y'all, this is
0: the 1960s. This is what I need to, like, emphasize to people It wasn't that fucking long ago? No. (laughs) Most of our parents were alive at this point. Yeah.
1: Like, this is not... My mom in 1962 would have been 12. My mom was born in 67. Yeah. But
0: still, this is the same decade that my mom was born in. When people act like this was so fucking long ago, and black people need to just get over it, it's like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, she
1: was she was a sharecropper. She was basically a slave. Yeah, but it was in the 1960s. Yeah, it really was. So, so she was kicked off the plantation, and her husband was still there. So she didn't have her support system. So she would just go to friends' houses and stay with them for as much as she could. And when she was staying at one of those friends' houses, she was shot at 16 times by a drive-by shooter who was a white supremacist. Luckily, no one was injured. She was fine, but she was shot at 16 times. Yeah. Which is insane. No one should be shot at at all.
0: At all. Let alone 16 times. Yeah.
1: So the next day, she and her family moved to Tallahatchie County for three months to hide away from the Klan. In a quote about this time, Fanny says, they kicked me off the plantation. They set me free. It's the best thing that could have ever happened. Now I can work for my people. When she returned... From Tallahatchie, she tried again to take the literacy test, but failed again and was turned away. She told the registrar, you'll see me every 30 days until I pass. Mm -hmm. On January 30th, 1963, she took the literacy test for the third time and passed. She was told that she was now a registered voter in Mississippi, but when she tried to vote that fall, she was turned away because she didn't have two, two poll tax receipts. Which is basically, I believe, just a receipt that you get for paying your taxes. or some, It's something like that. Um, the requirement was created in Confederate states after the right to vote was given to all races, along with literacy tests and attempts to turn away voters of color. Which, also, can we also talk about how fucking
0: stupid literacy tests are. I mean, I wouldn't pass one. Well, and it... It it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. I feel like incarcerated people should be allowed to vote because why don't they get a say in the direction that this country goes? They should. And a lot of incarcerated people do not... are not allowed to vote. Yeah. And... What does it matter if you can read or not? Mm-hmm. Can you understand what you want, like what your goals are for this country? Should you be given the right to determine the direction that this country goes but in? But the
1: thing is that the literacy test had nothing to do with no, how smart I know. you were. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was just, it was a way because they knew that. It's voter suppression. It's the same thing yeah. that's happening now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same thing. You know, they know that black Americans probably didn't receive the same education as white Americans and they were taking advantage of that Absolutely. as a reason for yeah. them not to be able to vote. Yeah. So she later paid for and acquired poll tax receipts. So she was like, oh, that's my only hurdle? Cool. Let me take care of that. So after these incidents, she became involved with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, along with attending many Southern Christian Leadership Conferences. She would even go on to teach classes and different SNCC workshops, and they would travel together to gather signatures for petitions to be granted federal resources for impoverished Black families in the South. She also became a field secretary for voter registration and welfare programs for the SNCC. In 1963, she attended a voter workshop by the SNCC in Charleston, South Carolina. She was on a bus with other activists, and they stopped on their way home for a break in Winona, Mississippi. Winona, Mississippi. 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 So the activists on the bus with her were June Johnson, who was 15 years old, Annell Ponder, Uvester Simpson, and Rosemary Freeman, oh, and James... I'm assuming James West cuz I wrote W E S R. And R okay. is next to the T on the West. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet it's I bet it's James West. Okay. So the everyone but Fanny went into this local cafe on this rest stop, and they sat down and they were refused by the waitress. And there was a state patrolman in there who kind of pulled out his like bully club and was kind of acting like intimidating toward them and got them to leave. Do
0: you ever wonder who has the energy to be this hateful? Right? Like the ex as a as somebody who has like worked in a restaurant, it just I'm like
1: exhausting.
0: Truly, what like, restaurant it- did you work in? I worked at Applebee's. It was my first job. That's right. Yeah, but like I, I truly feel like. Even if you are racist, doesn't it just take less energy... To not be racist? Just to serve these people and let them leave... And pay you? ...than the energy that it would take to fucking, like be racist
1: i mean we're in mississippi in 1963 i know but aren't you tired like Mm.
0: i'm too lazy to be racist yeah but i guess at the
1: time it was one of those things would would be be too lazy against somebody who was doing something that we didn't believe in you know (sighs) i think at the time it's like that was i think they thought they were doing the right thing which is just so (sighs) shitty so anyway so they get kicked out of the restaurant and before they get back on the bus uh one of the activists ponder took down the patrolman's license plate number And while doing so, the patrolman began beating the party and making arrests. So Fanny's on the bus, like, what the fuck is taking so long? So she goes out the back of the bus to be like, can we get a move on and go home? And then she was arrested. So they were all taken to the county jail. They were all beaten, including the 15-year-old June Johnson, for not saying, sir, in her replies to the officer.
0: Oh, fuck you. Right? Very much, sir.
1: So then, Fanny was taken to a cell where two inmates were ordered by the state trooper to beat her using a blackjack, which is similar to a bully stick. Right. She was also groped repeatedly, and when she tried to resist, she says the officer, quote, walked over, took my dress, pulled it up over my shoulders, leaving my body exposed to five men.
0: Yeah, there's a really um, good—I talked in our Black Panther episode last week about how Behind the Bastards did a two-parter, and they talk about her. They do? Yeah, they talk about her because it did influence the Black Panthers. Yeah. So
1: that's something that you should go listen to. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the next day, you know, these five people were still— in custody, so one of the SNCC members came to see if they could help, and they were beaten as well. Eventually, Fanny was released. She needed more than a month to recuperate from her injuries, but she never fully recovered. She had a blood clot behind her left eye, and she had permanent damage to her kidneys, so she dealt with that for the rest of her life. I
0: remember this being also super, super traumatic and upsetting because... The inmates who beat her up were black inmates. Yeah, and it wasn't. But like, they were
1: ordered by these troops. Like, right. what are you
0: gonna do? Like, you've got these. Exactly, it wasn't something they wanted to do. No, it's not
1: like. And when I, she cried and screamed, that they would be told to beat her harder. Yeah, like and they didn't I'm have a sure choice. They
0: carried a lot of like guilt and pain from that. Yeah, because their lives were threatened, and like that's really sad.
1: Yeah, but you know she is one of those people, like so many that we talk about, where she didn't let that stop her from doing what she wanted to do with her activism. And she went back, and in 1963, um, she organized voter registration drives, and one of them was called the Freedom Ballot, which was a mock election and the Freedom Summer initiative the following year. Her fellow volunteers say Fanny believed that the civil rights movement should be multiracial in nature. So she was similar to the Black Panthers in that way. There's a quote I'm going to read later on where she believes that we all feel the same way, but we go through different struggles. That was kind of one of her um, right. outlooks. In- injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere, basically. Yeah, like, it's like...
0: This could be if if you allow this to happen to any group of people, we still have that mentality, right? Like mm-hmm. we do as progressive people. It's like if you inlo- if you allow injustice to happen anywhere, yeah.
1: What's it's to say it's still injustice? Yeah,
0: and what's to say you're not next? What's to say anybody else isn't next? Exactly. Like, you have to fight for justice for everyone.
1: Yeah. So in 1964, she helped co-found the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in an attempt to prevent the all-white Democratic Party's attempts to stifle black voters and to fight against the segregationists. She ran for Congress as a Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party candidate against Jamie L. Witten. Fanny says, My opponent has done nothing to help the Negro in the 2nd Congressional District. If I'm elected as Congresswoman, things will be different. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired. For so many years, Negroes have suffered in the state of Mississippi. We are tired of people saying we are satisfied because we are anything but satisfied. One of Fanny's missions was to make more land accessible to African-Americans, kind of going back to her farming roots. She started this uh, pig bank for donations, which I was like, oh, a piggy bank. No, it's a pig bank. (laughs) Uh, So basically, they would get donations from the National Council of Negro Women for five boars and 50 gilts, which I had to look this up. A gilt is a female pig under the age of one who has not given birth to a litter, and and a boar is an uncastrated male pig. So, basically, she's getting donations for the Black community of Mississippi to be able to acquire these things, to acquire... Five boars and 50 gilts to start their own farm to be able to make money to have food to basically right. become self-sufficient, self-sufficient. exactly yeah. so that was incredibly popular and with this bank a family could care for pregnant pigs and have more financial success so the success of this led to fundraising for the main farming corporation eventually the fcc donated eight thousand dollars and fanny purchased 40 acres of land which would become the freedom farm which is the cutest thing i've ever heard Fannie and other MFDP members went to the 1964 Democratic National Convention to stand as official delegation from the state of Mississippi. So do you know about this, this story? No. Okay, this is what she's, like, the most known for is this 1964 DNC convention. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy. Okay, so in her company was Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, Queen. And also in her company was the wife of a... um, of a congressman, I believe, that had been killed recently. I didn't write it down, but there was, like, a lot of very, like... Notable. Notable people. So, this was during the time that Lyndon B. Johnson was the president, and I was watching this great YouTube video today where this historian said, you know, LBJ wasn't scared of Martin Luther King Jr. He was scared of Fannie Lou Hamer. And so it's kind of like what we talked about in our
0: last episode where this is someone people can rally around. Exactly. Anytime you have somebody who is ready to advocate for change, who doesn't allow being arrested or beaten or broken down to stop
1: them from their mission, that is fucking scary. Yeah. Yeah. So before her testimony, Johnson had his political advisors persuade her from making her appeal to the credentials committee. And she refused, of course. And when she refused, Johnson called for an emergency news conference, which would make it impossible for the networks to cover both his speech and her testimony live. So, of course, yeah, they're going to cover the president's speech. They're going to cover the president's speech. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the reason that Johnson initially didn't want the testimony to be heard on national television is because he needed the support of the Southern Democrats to win re-election and Fannie could throw a wrench in that. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I got to keep these people happy. And if she exposes a lot of the stuff that she's going to talk about and talks about you know, black voting rights and everything. I may not win this election.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting whenever people talk about Lyndon B. Johnson as though he is some kind of like bastion of civil rights because of the work that he did with Martin Luther King Jr. He had right. a meeting with Martin Luther King Jr. and then he passed some like he passed bills. a
1: law, but LBJ was he's opportunistic. Corrupt, he he yeah. did
0: it because it was good for him. Like never be, never feel like he did it because he's a good person. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not the case. Like, yeah. if it had suited him, if it had been good for him, if he could have been re-elected by doing it any other way, he probably would have. Yeah. He only ever did something when he felt like it was a threat to his power.
1: Yeah. You know it's, what I mean? It's funny, because uh, I was in the play Hair, like, God, it was probably five years ago now, which makes me sad to think about. But uh, there's a lot of jokes about... Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and that as well. Like he just was, he was the butt of a lot of jokes. I think because of that, and because of the way right. that he ran the country, yeah. and he became president because President Kennedy was killed.
0: And it goes down in history as though he did this wonderful thing for the civil rights movement. But it's like if you look at it, even for a second, yeah, he only did it because he felt like he was backed into a corner. He right. never would have done it otherwise. Yeah,
1: he was very calculated. So. As she began her testimony, the TV changed to Lyndon Johnson saying that it had been nine months since President Kennedy was shot. And that's basically it. So everybody watching TV is, like, seeing this conference, and all of a sudden it's like, by the way, it's been nine months since our president was shot, and I'm here now, bye. That was pretty much it. So when linda b johnson was done they caught fanny leaving her seat so they see somebody that had spoken but left her seat and people knew who she was and people were really pissed so she ended up uh they ended up televising it later and her testimony is unbelievable go on youtube and watch it it is captivating so when she got to the witness chair she put her purse on the table folded her hands She did not have notes, and she spoke for 13 minutes, telling the credentials committee and the world about the injustices suffered by the black people who wanted to vote. And here is a quote from her testimony. I was beat by the first Negro until he was exhausted. I was holding my hands behind me at the time on my left side because I suffered from polio when I was six years old. By the way, she's talking about being beaten in the jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After the first Negro had beat until he was exhausted, the state highway patrolman ordered the second Negro to go take the blackjack. I began to scream, and one white man got up and began to beat me in my head and tell me to hush. One white man, my dress had worked up high, he walked over and pulled my dress. I pulled my dress down, and he pulled my dress back up. All of this on account, we want to register to become first-class citizens, and if the Freedom Democratic Party is seated now, I question America. Is this America the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off the hooks because our lives are threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America? So it was a very—she was like, look at what I've been through and what I've endured, all because I want what is my constitutional right—
0: Yeah, and I think it's even more upsetting because, you know, I just read a account. I shared it to my Facebook today, but I read an account of, like, the last surviving um, person who was brought over on a slave ship. Uh, They recorded his account, or he spoke with someone, and he was saying about how, like, when they came and told us we were free, we were, like what now because they Free kind to of aware yeah yeah they kind of expected to be allowed to go home yeah. you know because they were taken from africa and they were like okay so you're going to let us go home now and they weren't allowed to go home so it's like you brought people here you forced them to come here yeah and then you denied them the right to live in this country exactly. as human beings yeah. like if you were going to do that fucking let them go home yeah then, let them you know, let
1: them live their lives elsewhere then yeah yeah so Senator Hubert Humphrey said that the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party could have two seats, but Fannie refused. She said, well, Mr. Humphrey, do you mean to tell me that your position is more important to you than 400,000 black people's lives? We didn't come all the way up here to compromise for no more than we've gotten here. We didn't come all this way for no two seats when all of us is tired. Yeah. After that, the white members from the Mississippi delegation walked out. It was 1968 when the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party <laughs> was finally seated after a clause which demanded equality of representation from state delegations was employed. In 1971, she co-founded the National Women's Political Caucus, where she emphasized the power women could hold by acting as a voting majority in the country. Still, fucking free, still fucking true today. It's, like, still, true it's today. still true
0: today. Again, we were just talking about this in the mini. Yeah, everybody.
1: The reason we're not winning is because we're not using our voice. Everybody, exactly. fucking get. Out there and use your voice involved. exactly. Well, and about that, she says a white mother is no different from a black mother. The only thing is they haven't had as many problems, but we cry the same tears. And I was like, Fanny. In 1972, Fanny was elected as a National Party delegate. Fanny had a quote nervous breakdown in 1972 and was hospitalized again in 1974 for another quote nervous breakdown, and she was in extremely poor health. And two years later, after that, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. God, she, she lived a hard life. She did. She died of complications of hypertension and breast cancer on March 14, 1977, at the age of only 59 in Mound Bayou, Mississippi. She was buried in her hometown of Rouville with a special tombstone, which read her uh, most memorable quote, which was, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired.
0: Yeah, I knew that she was the one who. Yeah, I knew that coined
1: that, but I didn't know the person behind it. Mm -hmm. Her memorial service held fifteen hundred people. In her lifetime, she received many awards, such as a Doctor of Law from Shaw University and honorary degrees from Columbia College, Chicago, in 1970, and Howard University in 1972. Posthumously, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993. A remembrance of her life was given in the U.S. House of Representatives on the 100th anniversary of her birth by Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee in 2017. Her namesake is seen on post offices, workshop programs, and public libraries all over the country, but especially in Mississippi. And the Fannie Lou Hamer High School was formed in the Bronx, New York, with a focus on humanities and social justice. And lastly, the third annual Women's March in Atlantic City in 2019 was dedicated to Fannie's life and legacy. Several students from the Fannie Lou Freedom High School attended and spoke. Mm. So that is the story of Fannie Lou Hamer. Great one. There's so much more, and there's so many, like, intricacies of her story, but the... The struggle she went through from being a child sharecropper and essentially an indentured slave, she was a slave for most of her life, being beaten, being torn down, and and constantly going back and knowing what she was worth and knowing her rights, too, which was another thing we talked about in the Black Mm -hmm. Panther episode. She kept going back. She knew eventually she would be able to vote, and it wasn't enough for her that she was able to vote. She wanted to make sure that every single Mm -hmm. person, you know, black, white, otherwise were having their voices heard and being able to vote. Yeah, and I really want
0: to emphasize once again, like, I really encourage everyone to take a, a really hard and close look at what Black people went through in this country. I think it's an important thing for us to say at the close of Black History Month. Yeah. Just that this was not very long ago that there was this kind of struggle even to have just this... Fundamental constitutional right. These people's families had been in this country for generations, mm-hmm. um, not voluntarily because they were brought here and they were forced to be here. But and they, they still were still were
1: not treated as like true Americans. They were Americans.
0: Americans. This country was built on the backs of these people. Yeah, America would not be America without Black people. Yeah, um, and especially the South would not have been the South without Black people. And I think it's very important to realize that our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, there were people who went through this. There are people alive right now who experienced these things. And, you know, I just think it's it's something that we need to all keep in mind because it gets so easy to believe that narrative, that this was something that happened so long ago and it didn't happen to you, so why does it affect you? Yeah, or to
1: believe that racism doesn't exist anymore because slavery is illegal, or that racism doesn't exist anymore because, look at the rights that they do have. Or because Obama
0: was president. Yeah, and
1: that doesn't mean that racism isn't still alive and well, and that's something we've discussed a lot this month about, you know, as we've gotten older, we've discovered um, more and more how true that is. Right, and
0: not only that racism is still alive and well, but also that the effects of generations of systemic racism and slavery and subjugation of Black people, that those effects are long-lasting. Yeah. Those effects will be in effect for the next... However many generations, because you can't just wipe that shit away. Exactly.
1: And I think for me, the biggest thing that I've personally learned this month during this Black History Month that I didn't really realize before was the idea of the reparations that the black community did not receive and how that has formed our racist society from the times of slavery and the abolishment of slavery to now, where if the Black community was given the the funds or the land or the opportunities to do more, like, especially when we talk about, like, the Tulsa race riots, they were never given the reparations. They had this amazing... Yeah, and the Black Panthers, too, you know. ...city that mm-hmm. they created for themselves, and it was taken away from them, and they then had to rebuild it without really any help and with all of these roadblocks. And I think that if the black community had received the reparations that it deserved, it's amazing to think about what could have been and what could be. What could our country look like if they were treated with the same dignity and respect as everybody else?
0: Or even just given that little bit of an advantage because they'd been disadvantaged for so long. I mean... The way that we get equity in this country, or the way that people have gotten equity in order to create wealth largely from people who didn't come from wealthy families, yeah. was through land ownership. Mm-hmm. So imagine... Which is why her,
1: I loved Fanny's pig bank idea. And yes. she for you. Yeah, She I mean,
0: okay. that is how we in this country have been able to kind of pick ourselves up and pull ourselves up and advance ourselves. Yeah, well, so, and she even
1: said she was so glad that she got fired from the sharecropper job because she could finally work for her people. Right, so denying black people
0: their 40 acres and a mule, right? Their land, that if they'd owned that land since the end of the Civil War, what would that... What have, What would they have been able to create, first of all? Yeah. And, you know, then the redlining that happened. All yeah. of the housing limitations that prevented black people from being able to own property up and through the 1960s, okay? Yeah. Like, through our parents' generation. Like, those things... Anytime people talk about the black community not being able to pick itself it, itself up. Um anytime anyone talks about the black community not being able to pick itself up and do better because I hear that all the time that like they should just do better and they're just complaining and they're just being victims. But
1: it's like it's like running a race with an anvil stuck to your ankle. Right. It's it's you, you know guys I mean? have it's been like... running a
0: race with a 400 year head start. Yeah. And you expect this community to be in the same place when they weren't given the same advantages. And
1: that means that those people have not received proper Black history education, because clearly, like, this is something that is so unbelievably unfair, and yet we pat ourselves on the back for, like, you know, oh, we abolished slavery, or oh, we don't have any segregation we laws anymore. We had a any Black anymore. president. We had a Black mm-hmm. president, and there's all of these things, but it's like you can't take back the damage that happened not even that long yeah, ago. And, you know, and it's
0: the same thing I think we should have more conversations on the show about like native rights and native yeah. history as well because um it's kind of the same thing. There are lasting irreversible effects to that community and to the black community that w- we will never be able to repay. Like, yeah. this country was founded on the enslavement of one people and the genocide of another group of people. Yeah. And the lasting effects in those communities, as someone with Native American people in my family, is irreversible. Yeah. not Like, there is nothing that the United States could do now that would...
1: Make up for it. Make
0: up for any yeah. of it. You know what I mean? And they will, <laughs> unless some serious changes are made they will never be on the same kind of footing as white Americans. It's just because of the way that our country was founded. Because, like you
1: said, we had a 400-year head start. Yeah, and
0: having any other mentality is just super fucking naive. Yeah. Like, it it really, really is. And it's not to say that, like, we can't make strides for equality and we should be doing that. Of course. Yeah, but, but never tell, like, these marginalized communities to pick themselves up by their bootstraps because... No,
1: because the idea of a, you know... The white American, like, if I think back into, like, the 50s, pick yourself up by the bootstraps, get a job. do Like, the American dream, that was not always available to everybody. That's right. very much, like, a white, middle yeah. America yeah. ideal.
0: Yeah, you know? and you can throw in examples of, of people in any community who managed
1: to do it, but they're the exception. They're not the rule. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A lot of these people, I mean, think about what... You know, Fanny Lou Hamer went through. Think mm-hmm. about the perseverance that Katherine Johnson had to be able mm-hmm. to push through all of that and know her worth. Right. Like these are not people. These are not your everyday citizens. These are people that have incredible uh, self confidence, strength of perseverance, character. strength yeah. of character that are able to um, look past all of those things. I don't think I'm a strong enough no. person to be able to look I past 100% those things. Hundred percent is. I would be hiding. Isn't. I I isn't. Wow, I'm super tired. I okay. isn't smart enough. All right, you guys. Thank you so much for going through another Black History Month with yeah. us, everybody. And welcome to Women's History Month. Welcome to Women's History Month. Uh, next month will be all all things women's history, I guess, which is our show a lot of the times anyways, but we're going to extra focus on it this coming month. I don't know what we're going to do yet, so we'll have we to discuss We haven't talked about it. it, but
0: we're figuring it out. Yep, it
1: was it was nice that our first year, when we started, we had Black History Month, we had Women's History Month, and we went through all the waves. Now it's kind of like, okay, what do we do? Yeah. But um, if you haven't heard those episodes, go back and listen to them, because they're great. Um, but if you have any other ideas of things that you'd like for us to discuss involving Women's History Month, go ahead and Email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also direct message us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Twitter that Keegan has been using a few times this week. Kind of, sort week. of. Don't get too excited. Super proud of my girl at <laughs> podcast, YANF Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. We also have a Facebook business and group page. Go ahead and rate and review us on our business page and chat with our fellow listeners in the group page. Super fun place to be. Uh, if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out a little bit. And I almost forgot. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts as yeah. well. You will be featured in Reviews Day Tuesday please um send us your instagram handles if we post your review anything like that because we want to make sure we're giving credit where credit is due and sometimes your apple id doesn't match with your instagram handle um that's all i gotta say with all of that being said we encourage you, to you. John. bye